happens and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. Tech has a diversity problem. And so, in recent years, we've seen a wave of programs aimed at teaching young people of color to code. But the reality is that solving the diversity problem is about much more than just teaching kids JavaScript. That's why today I'm talking with Brandon Nicholson, the founding executive director of the Hidden Genius Project. His program teaches engineering, sure, but also focuses on leadership skills and building a community that will help the next generation of entrepreneurs thrive in tech. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The Growth Show. I'd really like to begin by getting an understanding of the Hidden Genius Project. Can you explain what it is and your role in the program? Sure. The Hidden Genius Project trains and mentors black male youth in technology creation, entrepreneurship, and leadership skills to transform their lives and communities. And that is our official mission statement. Mm -hmm. And uh, we do require all of uh, the students in our intensive program to memorize it. So you know, that's why I so willingly uh, uh, spat it out and probably a bit robotically. But uh, as far as my role, I am the executive director of the organization, the founding executive director of the organization. Uh, we were founded in 2012 by a core group of black male technology entrepreneurs. And the principal founders actually are uh, friends of mine uh, going back now about probably over 15 years huh. uh, to a scholarship program we were all a part of called the Ron Brown Scholar Program, which is intended to basically convene students and young people of African descent entering post-secondary education and grant them a significant sum of unrestricted funds, in our case, I think about $40,000, all in the interest of building a lifelong network for social change. And so uh, two of the principal founders uh, were from different years. Actually, all three of us are from different years, three consecutive years in high school from 2000 through 2002. But Jason Young and Ty Moore from you know, 2000, 2002, respectively, they attended Harvard University together and then eventually would come out to Oakland, my hometown, to build a for-profit entity called Mind Blown Labs uh, mm -hmm. to teach young people about financial capability skills through uh, mobile gaming and experiential learning. And so in that, uh, as they came out and realized the opportunity here and saw the opportunity to connect with young people and black males in particular to help them connect and help them uh, thrive and identify skills and opportunities that could support them to be able to have a better quality of life and thrive and hopefully stay in their communities and not have to leave. Yeah. Um, they decided a great opportunity could be to teach intensive technology and entrepreneurship skills and wrap that around leadership and build community leaders that could uh, leverage their ideas and their skills to really improve their communities. As they were kicking that idea around, they knew that I was in Oakland at the time and I have a background in education policy and um, had grown up in the area, and, and so they asked me what I thought of the idea. I thought it was great, and everyone just supported. You know, I supported as a bit of a distant volunteer, uh, just with my background in evaluation and research, you know, supporting with some of the assessment design and educational design. And then I came on at the end of 2014 and going into the beginning of 2015 to try and build the actual infrastructure 
and turn this thing into a, a, you know a full-on organization and, and hopefully you know a a thriving and successful and sustainable um, institution. So that's my role is to make things happen and pull everything together. That's what I do. Yeah, no, that's a, that's such a great overview. I would love to even just go back to 2014, 2015 for a minute when you made the decision to move from a volunteer or someone who was involved in a more limited way to making this your your primary focus for however many years into the future. What yeah. was it? Obviously, the program has a lot to offer, but what was it to you that stood out about this program personally uh, that made you want to dedicate the time to it? Absolutely. And it's, a, it's an important question because, you know, when I came on, I, I did come on as the first staff member. And at the time, um, there wasn't necessarily um, enough budget to sustain my salary for, you know, a year. So I basically had sat down and been supporting the organization just with some components. And I was also supporting Ty and uh, Jason as they were building out mind-blown labs and, um, again, leveraging my expertise around education and evaluation, among other things. So, you know, we were uh, having dinner, basically, and I, and I think that we're there to celebrate this uh, government contract. Yeah. Mind-blown is just one. And at the time, I was thinking about my next steps and how I, how I can make an impact um, and leverage more of my skills holistically. And I wanted to be able to kind of put all those things together and have an impact on people's lives. And so I'd been applying to different jobs and having some limited success. I was sharing this with them at dinner and they're saying, and then we're of course talking about how the Hidden Genius Project is doing. And they're saying, well, you know, we've had two cohorts come through um, and the second cohort is still in process. And it's kind of at a crossroads. It's either going to begin to fly because we have to build it into something or, you know, it might just fade away. So we got a little bit of a grant to try and bring on a first ED. And I said, oh, that's that's great. You know, send me the job description. I'll pass it around to the people uh, that I know in my networks. And I had no interest in, in uh, you know, being a nonprofit executive director. And I was always interested in systems level change and major impact. But the more I thought about it, the more I saw opportunities to work across sector, to work in, you know, collective impact uh, environments and, and be able to collaborate and actually work um, with systems level actors and work creatively with different people. And getting to do that uh, was really exciting. And, and I said, all right, maybe I'll just throw my hat in the ring. But it's definitely a risk jumping basically full head on into entrepreneurship um, and certainly social entrepreneurship. Right. Knowing that it was just going to be a team of me and I'd have to build a staff and, and try and, you know, continue to build uh, our infrastructure. But just knowing that there's this multifaceted way and holistic and assets driven way to envision uh, young people and particularly black males as change agents and people who can excel and and reveal their potential, reveal their genius. Yeah. Um, that was really exciting. And, and the opportunity to put that all together end up, I guess, being too much to pass up. When you're in the thick of this, you know, words like asset driven or multicultural approaches, they can get removed from the actual day to day. If I'm in this program, if I'm part of the Hidden Genius Project, what is my day to day like? Absolutely. Well, the first caveat is that we have a number of programs and a number of different ways ex students experience our program. Our core program is our 15-month intensive, uh, wherein we bring in a cohort of students, or actually multiple cohorts now, but roughly 20-plus or so students of high school age. We recruit rising ninth 
through rising 11th graders. They come in and spend 15 months for the better part of about 800 hours of programming wow. service, uh, learning the fundamentals of computer science, you know, problem solving, entrepreneurship, software development, and then leadership through identity development and explorations of issues around community and social justice. And then the other programs that we do, we tend to refer to as our short-term catalyst programs and that they're meant to catalyze interest uh, in the space or kind of engagement in this space of tech. And we typically say that their purpose is to demystify, debunk and expose the technology space. If you're in our intensive, our 15 months entail two intense summers, so seven weeks apiece each summer, Monday through Friday, about eight hours a day. So you're coming in and eating breakfast with us and wow. having your leadership sessions and having opening ritual and closing ritual as a community where you're going to sit and have different sessions on problem solving and, and programming and languages like HTML and CSS and JavaScript and Ruby, Ruby on Rails and Swift, depending on where you are in your trajectory. Work through sessions on entrepreneurship and work on your own kind of business plans and ideas and take a walk through the community with your cohort and identify things you'd like to address in the community and talk with your cohort about what ideas you might have to address that. You're going to, you know, get fed breakfast and lunch and, and then hopefully by the end you're going to build your own software project from start to finish. We have a lot of conversations about what it means to be who you are and understand the different dynamics around racial identity, gender identity, yeah. uh, socioeconomic status. Um, you know, sexual orientation and, and how all those intersect and inter interact, you're going to be encouraged to um, really adopt the principle at the heart of the uh, Bantu term that we always bring up, uh, Ubuntu, uh, which translates into I am because we are and, and we yeah. always are reminding our young people that, you know, the best of who they are and, and the worst is absolutely interconnected with their neighbors and their communities. And so, you know, it's up to us to do our best and support each other for the greater good and also allow the greater good and the community to support us for our own development. So, you know, those are different things you'll get to do. And then, of course, you'll get to take some field trips and visit different companies, uh, technology companies in the area. You'll get to have different people from the community come and speak and also different people from the industry and tech industry. And, and then, you know, as you continue, we'll support you. We'll certainly um, provide you with the stipend. Once you complete our core program, we'll continue to find ways to engage you and find ways to support you after you're finished and write you letters of recommendation or train you as a youth educator to, to facilitate programming for younger students. We'll help you identify internships or scholarships and the like and do whatever we can really to make thorough. sure you just have a stronger quality of life. You know, it seems to me like that there are two pieces about this program that are really unique. One is that uh, is that immersive component, which is, you know, 15 months is a lot to ask of anyone, and you are really morning mm -hmm. to night surrounding them by that community. And the other mm -hmm. is, you know, you're not just putting people in a room and teaching them coding. There is this sort of multifaceted angle to it where it's technology, but it's also leadership. Can you sum up for me why those two are important? Why not just put people in a room and teach them how to code? There's, I think, a bunch of reasons. I'd say first and foremost, our number one goal is less around people learning to code and more around any young person we serve just feeling empowered uh, mm -hmm. to reveal their best selves. But when we're working with our intensive group, um, you know, the number one thing we want to do is raise quality young men and help them just understand, have hope and have vision mm -hmm. and have ambition. 
and see that certainly technology is a pathway to get there, but there's any number of ways to get there. But the skills they learn, the problem solving, the, the critical thinking, the thinking more broadly around community and outside of ourselves, those are very much transferable. So it's important to establish a solid foundation and make sure that they feel good about themselves. They encounter a great deal of trauma, so as we all do, um, and, and some of theirs is, is particularly acute depending on you know, where they're coming from. You know, we have young people, it's a heterogeneous group, so we do have young people who have two parents in the home and those, both those parents had beyond uh, you know, undergraduate education. And then we have some you know, participants who are in, you know, grew up in foster care and um, being cared for by someone you know, is not their birth parent and maybe that parent might have completed high school. or So mm-hmm. there's a, definitely a range. We want them to all know, all know they have great opportunity. They can all learn from each other and that you can build these skills to help you. Um, but more than anything, you know, you can just put in the work to get you wherever you want to go. So I want to zoom out for a moment because you surround the young black male participants in your program, you surround them with community and with perspective and with all sorts of different support. And then many of them go on, um, they succeed out of the program and they go on to get jobs in tech companies where they may be looking around and seeing very few people who look like them or who come from their background. Why do you think that so many tech companies are still struggling to recruit and retain young black and Latino talent? Well, that's a that's a big question. Um, I can't. How much time do we have for the podcast? <laughs> but um, I think there's kind of a few pieces, you know, kind of a few baseline or foundational pieces we have to set, you know, as we try and have this conversation for sure. Um, the one that's probably most prominent in my mind is uh, the idea of good data and how we frame the conversation. And I understand, you know, and can appreciate identifying as a black man, the willingness to kind of talk about our, you know, quote unquote, tech diversity hiring conversation as a function of composition of black and Latinx uh, employees. And that having been said, there are, you know, a number of underrepresented groups um, and, you know, or, or groups, I should say, ethnic and racial groups that are underrepresented in the space, in the valley or elsewhere. Um, and I think, you know, I'm particularly sensitive to it coming from Oakland, California, a place right. that certainly has been known for decades for a thriving and highly value contributing black population, but that's also been known for vast diversity. Um, and if you even go to Oakland High School, uh, which is in shallow East Oakland, it's not deep, but they have multiple dozens of languages spoken there at the homes of their students, ranging from certainly Spanish and, and languages spoken in the Caribbean all the way through the Middle East and Southeast Asia, and, and then they have indigenous students as well, Pacific Islander, um, American and Samoan, and, and Tongan, Filipino. Uh, Filipinos represent the first or second most populous Asian Pacific Islander group in the state. And yet companies in the Valley, when they report, they don't disaggregate that data. They often say that they're overrepresented on the Asian side, which they might be proportionally with respect to certain groups. When we look at Southeast, you know, Cambodian, Hmong, also well represented in California and in Oakland and the Bay. Um, or you look at the Pacific Islander groups, Filipino, extremely well represented. Um, there's not great data on who's there in those spaces in these companies from those backgrounds and who's not. You know, American Indian and indigenous communities, we often leave out of the conversation. 
and with the implication, I guess, being that, you know, the group, you know, it's a, a smaller, less representative group. But again, you know, those communities are here. Yeah. So if we want our companies to look like our communities, we have to just line up the data and, and do a better job with data. The great irony there is that many of these companies that end up reporting their data and make billions of dollars and write, sell a lot of books and, and get paid a lot at seminars to talk about how great of a job they do with data. And then here I am talking about it and and citing, you know, Oakland Unified School District as an example of a, a district and, and the schools within it that are great examples of institutions that do a, actually a pretty strong job of reporting their demographic data and disaggregating it yeah. to be able to speak to their student experience and, and dig into that. So for all the challenges that public schools and local school districts like Oakland might have, one thing they get way better and way more right than all the, a lot of these really sexy multi billion dollar companies is they pay a lot more attention to what data looks like and what true diversity looks like. So you have to start there. And I think, you know, the the second piece you have to look at is just the will. And and if you're in the company, if you're running a company, you have to figure out what it is that you want to look like. You know, I know that for yeah. our company with our mission, it is important to have a strong presence of black males. You know, we it's something we have to say out loud. The irony is we're always talking about what our representation looks like and and who else should be here, might be here someday, or what have you. And, you know, how do we create an inclusive space, even as we have a mission centered on a particular target population? We have, you know, certain companies that are, you know, include global or the world in their mission, and yet aren't thinking, like, globally sure, and inclusively yeah. about how to actually, um, you know, bring in people to help them achieve their mission, you know, and, and reach their bottom line. And one thing we always talk about with our young people is, listen, we're not doing this to build a pipeline between here and Silicon Valley Company X. You know, those companies haven't done a great job of thinking about you, taking you seriously, um, attracting you, retaining you, helping you advance or thrive. And they don't always necessarily, and for whatever reason, in the technology space, even take the market base here seriously. Meaning, you know, there are companies that come here sometimes companies that you wish wouldn't come to certain communities like East Oakland or Richmond to take those dollars because they know they're there. Sometimes companies uh, in the, you know, tobacco or alcohol space, right? Or, you know, you know, apparel companies absolutely understand that they can get dollars from everywhere so they market that way. But you, you see many technology companies, particularly in the Valley, that don't do that in certain communities where we work. And we say, that's fine. You know, let's not lament it. Why don't you as young people fill that gap, fill that void. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we honestly, uh, with knowing that, you know, we have to say, well, then there's got to be a will. It's got to start from the top or it's got to be a lack of will to really do business in those communities and recruit from those communities. So how do you take something then from something that is somewhat conceptual to people? So let's take somebody who maybe has good intentions, but not necessarily the right will. How do we operationalize that so that you know, we're not having the same conversation a year from now or two years from now. Gosh. Well, you know, Megan, yes. um, you know, we're going to need another show. But <laughs> I, know, um, I only I ask you the monstrous questions. It, it, listen, in, in some instances, it's, it's going to be about, the, yeah, you're not going to be operationalized at first, certain companies and certain people. And then we're just going to have we're just going to be like having some really interesting kind of business school type conversations about yeah. to what extent does any of this matter or eventually, you know, harm people on their bottom line. Because yeah. um, obviously, you know, when it, when it starts to make dollars, you know, as they say, it starts to make sense. So and when it doesn't, then, you know, that's when you see movement. And, you know, we've seen a little bit of that, you know, with companies where they see a loss and maybe um, 
you know, valuation or market share, and then that wakes them up and gets them to shake up leadership. So it, it can't just be kind of a composition for composition's sake, for sure. Right. Um, you know, it's got to start with leadership, right? The leadership has to determine who they want to be. Um, I think we also have to understand, you know, history and some of the systemic dynamics um, that we encounter in our communities and society. So sometimes we see things in the world being a certain way, and it's not even that we're quote unquote seeing it wrong, but we may not be understanding how it came to be. Yeah. Um, and so when we put certain labels or if we target, say, even certain universities, if we have certain programs like uh, and, and oversubscribe from, say, referral programs, we're not taking history into account. We're not taking good data and good, good research into account. Right. If I've got a referral program at a company and I say I want to be global and yet we started off just with all my buddies. Right. Yeah. It's a limited. Data Excuse set. me. And we said, OK, well, we're not just going to take my buddies anymore. We're just going to take people who went to the same school I went to or people who went to schools like the school I went to or, you know, people that, you know, wear red shoes or people that say certain words. And we're going to look out for this and we're going to put a name on it and call that our culture. And then as we continue to grow and maybe grow in terms of our revenue and our our scope and our reach, we say, oh, OK, we want to be more global. Let's actually just up the referrals from all the people we have to fill more of these seats. Well, right. That's fine. But now you're replicating where you started and it wasn't a bad place where you started. It's just maybe insufficient now or out of alignment with where you're headed. Incentivizing referrals, helping people, you know, buy holiday gifts at the end of the year. Extra dollars they pick up from referring someone very similar to them or from their immediate circle um, might not always achieve that goal, right, of, yeah. of continuing to have a more representative workforce that can reach a broader market. You know, your background is in education, education policy. I'd love to close out by getting your take on the future of tech and education. In particular, who's doing the most exciting work in terms of teaching students, kids, the type of skills that they'll need to apply for the jobs of tomorrow? Um, that's a great question. Well, I, I think there's a great number of organizations doing work, and, and I don't purport at all to know even half of them. But we're very fortunate to be in a great community here in Oakland in the Bay Area where the, there's a ton of great work going on in uh, the technology space. I think, you know, what we tend to look at is, one, who organizations are targeting, and two, how they uh, go about kind of serving the whole person. And I don't think there's any way, I think it, it sometimes it might be more um, clean cut or efficient to be able to divorce you know, a direct uh, kind of instruction or education approach from a need for holistic support, but it's just not really possible. So I think the organizations that we see doing the best work are the ones that can support the whole person. Um, and when we look at that and we look at the future, you know, there's some great organizations we work with all the time, as in the David E. Glover Center and the work they're doing. Um, we've got a great partner in Game Heads who built their whole program around game design they're oh, called game heads yeah uh, and uh, you know their program is teaching you know tech uh, and programming and development skills through game design um, by encouraging young people to actually build healing centered games so games that will help heal trauma right help them tell their story and yeah. work through their story you know you have i think organizations uh, in our cohorts where we operate you know of course black girls code and Hack the Hood yeah, and yeah. Uh, even, you know, youth radio that's really been doing kind of tech work centered on media for years, even before I think it became more prominent here um, in this decade. Um, and they've always done a great job of having youth centered work and putting young people to work 
um, and doing just a, a great job of helping young people access the space through multiple channels. So there's any number, I think, of great organizations out there. And, you know, we're, we're fortunate to be learning from them. And we hope we're in that conversation as well. That's what we're aiming to be. And we do hope that we can continue to build our work out and do good work and continue to grow and expand our model and, and get to spaces. I think the most important thing is because this, this technology is, is constantly evolving at a rapid rate. So I think it's important to meet people where they are, get them excited and curious so they can keep learning and growing. If, if we say that people have to learn a, a static set of skills, it's going to do them a disservice and they're, they're not going to have yeah. kind of that, I think, energy to, that they need to keep expanding their knowledge base. But if we say, hey, whatever you love to do, whatever interests you, you know, there's tech behind it. There's some tech that can push it forward. You know, what if you can learn about how that's happening? Um, we think that's far more sustainable. Makes sense. Well, Brandon, Executive Director of Hidden Genius Project, thank you so much for your time. We'll leave it there. Thank you, Megan. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to support the show, you could rate and review us on iTunes. It makes a huge difference and helps spread the word. And if you want to drop us a line, we're always around on Twitter, at The Growth Show. We'll be sure to respond.